Hello everyone, welcome back to the Skeptically Inclined Science Podcast. We're back for season three, back from our summer break, back and refreshed. Uh, and we're now we're on episode 45. Uh, I'm Evan. And I'm Tom. And welcome, hope you're having a great day wherever you're listening to and you're uh, thirsty for some new science knowledge of what happened, what's going on in the science world. Um, and yeah. Great intro, bud. Thanks. <laughs> Good to see you. Did you practice? <laughs> no, I, I'm just very excited for our new okay. season. So I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to hit it in one. So on today's episode then, Tom, what are you going to talk to us about? So we're going to, I'm going to try to predict the Nobel Prize winners, which uh, actually are going to be announced on Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah, so they'll be announced by the time this episode comes out, but this is just, we we can be curious to see if our uh, predictions matched up. And we can see if if we got anything right. Mm. And then I also... Uh, was recommended this paper where a mouse embryos were grown without eggs or sperm so that's interesting so we're gonna we're gonna just talk a little bit about it how uh, how close did they get to actually these for these embryos to resemble an actual natural embryo and uh, you know what can be what it can be used for cool yeah interesting i'd be curious what it can be used for um yeah and then for me today again i'm just going to help with my predictions for the Nobel Prize and then as well uh, just to kind of give a quick overview of what happened in the science world over the summer um, and give my favorite uh, paper that what what happened over the summer okay. just for, for our listeners if you were uh, in hibernation I suppose everyone was on holidays and doing stuff so maybe you missed out on some news so yeah I can't believe you found time to read papers during summer <laughs> yeah well I'm, al- I'm always uh I'm, ha- full of surprises i'm always looking for the new uh what's happening mm-hmm. what's popping in the in summer the between your brother's wedding and getting drunk at oktoberfest you found time <laughs> yeah play. yeah okay fair exactly play. um yeah and how was your summer did you enjoy it you had a good time yeah it was great i got covered as you know you I think co- you got COVID as well. Oh yeah, we both got COVID. But yeah. th- oh, that was after we had done the concert. Oh yeah, but it was after the last episode. Yeah, yeah. 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 God, that's then, old news now. I know. Yeah, I did the Via accent in my hand. That was really nice. You know the f- oh yeah the, the four, day, four day walk marches yeah. where I did uh, fifty kilometers every day. Yeah, and then would yeah, you recommend it to our audience? Oh yeah, definitely. It's great fun. <laughs> I, I loved it. I'm still hoping that you're going to join me next year. <laughs> Are you going to do so, it next year? Of course I am. <laughs> it's uh, for yeah. punishment. I love it. You it's were really saying, nice. I know you were telling me, um, the one of the girls you did it with, mm-hmm. how on the last day she was getting blisters inside of blisters. And I, was I like, know, oh it was mad. God. It was mad. Yeah. It's something. But, uh, um, she finished as well. So fair play. Yeah, but just that, you will get blisters like there's no no way around it no no you will you will get blisters like it does it's so. yeah it's the associated risk with the with walking 50k every day but um and, it's as, fun. Well, and as well because the, w- one of the days is cancelled so technically you didn't fit, do it all you oh thanks just... for bringing that to our attention uh <laughs> yeah but that's why i want to do it again i want to do it in the proper, proper way. way right yeah because they cancel it because of the hot weather mm. so yeah, but it was really nice, and uh, I'm looking forward to 
seeing you here in July and walking together. <laughs> we, yeah, I must actually, we can raise money through the podcast. If anyone else wants in the podcast wants to do it. We just want to walk, yeah. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, the cherry on top, I think, was the Oktoberfest. Yeah, we Having a bit of a laugh with everyone. Yeah. Drinking beer and stuff. Yeah, it was good. The weather was awful. Um, <laughs> I was yeah, to like every, always, we went, when we went to New York, it was raining and cold. I know. And now, Is it you or me? Um, could be a bit of both. Of could us. be a bit of both. But we made the best out of it, didn't we? Yeah, but the yeah, you go into the, atmosphere the, be- was the great. beer tents yeah. and um, Tom did very well at the shooting games and, and stuff <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks, Evan. What? <laughs> I'm giving you a You were great yourself. No, I know. Like, you were great yourself as well. <laughs> no, that's good. I, all, I, okay. all I won was a, a rose. I think you won uh, a plush tie. Yeah. So yeah. that, that, that tells nice. you all you need to know. Um, so I have a great eye, except uh, even though I wear glasses. Yeah. They, why, why were they put? Where were the Polish army there? Like, how are they not letting you in after <laughs> that? Stop. I mean, I'm not getting into that. Like, <laughs> yeah. I should have been a soldier. Okay. Uh, <laughs> on that note, uh, what what happened over the summer, Evan? Uh, yeah. So, I'm just. I just kind of looked from because we kind of finished the last episode end of june so i kind of was like okay from july onwards what was um what was mm-hmm. happening in science what were the interesting news um so i suppose the big main i suppose the biggest event of the summer for everyone was the hubble um sorry not hubble james webb telescope um that happened yeah so it finally got the images for um it started making producing taking images um, once they had everything calibrated in our line. So we finally got some uh, images and it was like some of the clearest images you'll ever see into the deepest like realms of the universe. I'd say everyone has seen these three images that were uh, unveiled and you could see mm-hmm. like the amount of information just from one image was astounding. Um, and you could see like the oldest uh, universes ever, sorry, oldest galaxies ever um when they were produced closest to the big bang and yeah just the amount of information that we'll potentially be able to get from um the james Webb telescope it's really exciting uh and yeah i'm really looking forward to seeing what what happens they already were tried to detect um exo exoplanets they're able to use the james Webb telescope for that so who knows we could potentially have a habitable habitable planet that they'd be able to see not that we could ever reach it because it's that's what i was gonna say <laughs> i think they're a bit too far away now aren't they a bit too far away just yet unless we can uh somehow travel the speed of light get the warp speed like in star trek yeah yeah <laughs> i don't think that's gonna <laughs> that's happen all it takes. yeah that's all it takes so easy like why hasn't it been solved yet um then other other news that happened then quickly so the there was uh, a detection of polio in the uk in the sewerage system and it was um quite big news because they were reckoning that polio was spreading um undetected in the population it was only because it was being detected in the in the in the sewerage 
they didn't know where it was um, and again like because we all thought polio is an eradicated disease but yeah. I suppose the thing is with this they changed the vaccine type of for polio and it's more a live version that can reproduce and it does happen in very like very low cases like I think it's like even one percent of people but because if you don't get vaccinated there's a potential that if you can these people who who uh do get vaccinated but it did they can the polio can uh, replicate these people are more uh, at risk so it was a bad sign because it's again it's like oh could there people be getting suffering from polio again such a preventable mm-hmm. disease so that was kind of like interesting so is it, here so is it more that they changed the vaccine or is it more that they're they're unvaccinated populations within the it's a, like they changed it but then because it, it's not uh, it's again like i suppose everyone's a vaccine expert now but like if everyone has been vaccinated it wouldn't make a difference because you would have protection but it's because if you're not if there's a large enough population that aren't vaccinated which some parents weren't getting their kids vaccinated for polio yeah but if you know that there are people that are unvaccinated why would you introduce a vaccine that is because you it's know, a better a one. It gives you better response to polio. That was why they changed it. Okay. Um, it's a better vaccine, but there's a higher risk of someone getting Yeah, but like higher risk, but it's still like neg- like super low. Uh, okay. And there's not risk of you developing polio. So okay. it's just, just, it was one of those. Um, so yeah. And again, this whole, just goes to show the whole anti-vax movement is still not getting any closer to being resolved i suppose once there's no polio even it's heard or seen it then no one really thinks anything of it um next story was clinical trials for pig to human organ transplants inch closer so i think okay. we all had heard about this man who had got a pig's heart transplanted into his into him um he didn't last along but he didn't survive long. Uh, <laughs> maybe last long is not a appropriate word, but um, he uh, he it was like he was desperate measures, and I think that's why they allowed um, it to happen. But now they're saying that they're going to try and um, allow because there is such a shortage of donors, organ donors, and they're thinking that um, maybe this could be the answer. And yeah, they're going to. They're still on trials phase for sure, but it's kind of interesting that they're um, they're going to see if they can use like pig organs in the in these people, and it it might be good enough. Um, that sounds very sci-fi, slash yeah, very yeah. experimental. Yeah, yeah, it's like companies have been using pigs for use in this xeno transplantation, um, and they're hoping that the right combination of genetic modifications of the pigs could help ensure that the human immune system can accept the organs. I suppose people, <laughs> vegetarians, vegans, be like, this is not right that we're well, using I mean, animals. But how do you feel about sacrificing animals? For for organ transplant? Yeah. Yeah, it's sad, I suppose. But like, I suppose this is the whole weight of like, do we pre- place human lives a higher weight? So it's for animals? the greater good. Yeah, well, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I just think if you're tra- placing human lives higher than a, an animals, then then it's fair game, I suppose. But okay, so it just depends bit, on how you look at it. 
yeah yeah but like it, it, it's like should we be willing to try anything to like let people some people live um because until we can come up with artificial organs that we can either grow or um create and would you feel better about using artificial organs yeah i would say so yeah okay. i think okay. <laughs> like obviously you're not killing animals because of it um right the other one was this is actually a really interesting one okay crispr cousin put to test in clinical heart disease trial so they're basically they've modified the crispr technique Mm -hmm. so that it can be safely used to make precise single changes single letter changes to a dna sequence in a cholesterol regulating gene and and then this doesn't break the dna both strands of the dna and then they're going to help to see if this will um so they're doing this in a trial um and they're aiming to see if it will yeah first they're going to treat sickle cell disease and then to see if it will help in patients with heart disease and improve heart cardiovascular disease okay so because it's a it's a single strand break there is a less chance of introducing some unpredicted mutations yeah 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 and uh, should be safer or more predictable on the paper is it yeah exactly there's the less off- okay. offside i suppose it's like will it be effective um will it can it actually do what it's meant to do obviously they must be proven when um it's gotten this far to like clinical trials so um yeah it's really exciting to see like uh, actually uh because we all hear crispr cas and it's like yeah oh, it's but it still seems like one of those um concept that's not going to impact anyone soon they're still in lab testing phases and all that kind of stuff but this is like actual um diseases that they're doing big trials on to see would it work so um, it, it, it's exciting that this technology is getting out into the clinics yeah 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 um i can talk about that paper maybe more another time if people want to learn more um because yeah just to go into the detail of uh yeah i can t- actually what i'll say is like basically um it this ca- crispr cast it edits um an adenine to a guanine in the dna encoding mm-hmm. a protein called pcsk9 and it's a key regulator of blood cholesterol uh and then it aims to reduce the amount of this functional protein in a people with a condition called heterozygous familial hyper hypercholesterolemia which causes the high cholesterol and can lead to heart disease and it's been shown that disabling this can reduce cholesterol levels and cut the risk of heart disease and there's several therapies already on the market to help reduce this um activity of this protein so um really interesting i think like to see Mm -hmm. something like gene editing using something like high blood high cholesterol so i suppose it's very niche um target audience or target audience target um population at the moment would you think so with the cardiovascular diseases <laughs> well no because it's only in this people who have this familial oh yeah yeah. but maybe i actually i'm like well i suppose a lot of people do have inherited high high blood high cholesterol so uh maybe it could be a larger audience or a lot larger population than i think but um be adapted yeah but it's all it's all it's really moving fast right now like this whole area um the full speed ahead 
Um, and we'll come back to this Chris CRISPR cast, I think, for the... Um, oh, no, because they, they won the Nobel Prize already. <laughs> I was going to go back and say, <laughs> oh, yeah, they could potentially win it. For, no, no, that happened. That's, a, that's all news. Um, right. Uh, then the next one was, okay, we were have mentioned this multiple times. Monkeypox. It was declared a global emergency. Again this is still even like from when we talked about this last time it's still mm-hmm. so much unknowns yeah um like i i was heard about the story in america how their response again was so bad like this was a, a an outbreak that they could of potentially really if there were if there any outbreak could happen this would be a good one to prepare and see how well prepared they were so they had a vaccine and they had a treatment and of course like all they had because there was this potential smallpox um, outbreak back in the early noughties. Mm-hmm. They um, had stockpiled a load of vaccine um, for uh, <coughs> smallpox, which is also effective for monkeypox. And then, of course, all these uh, vaccines expired and they had no nothing else available to use. Uh, and then there's mass, so that's why there's huge shortage right now of the vaccine for monkeypox because only one company in the world makes it. It's in Denmark, um, and it's just really sad because I'm like they could have used that vaccine to give it to endemic areas with monkeypox in Africa, and yet they never did. Um, really hard it's to get the short sightedness. Yeah, and then no, no treatment. Like this treatment is kind of as well, kind of controversial because it doesn't. It's not really scientifically proven. It's only in the lab. There's no trials done. Again, I suppose how do you? But like, what could they not have tried to do trials in Africa to see if this works? Um. So yeah, just it's it's a bit of a and they, again they still don't know how it spreads. It's uh, it seems to be exclusively in um, men who have sex with men, um, but they're like, how how is this possible? Um, mm-hmm. Is it true touch? Is it airborne? Is it somehow something like this happening? So yeah, again, there was a lot of still a lot of unknowns, um, but I, I suppose thankfully it doesn't seem to be uh, fatal. Um, right. Um, but yeah, it gives. I've heard the stories about people get the blisters. It seems super painful. So, but that's only on the um, over in America. Or is that problem here in Europe as well? Yeah, in Europe, everywhere. Yeah, it's it's it seems to be doubling like hu- really fast. I don't know if the really at the yeah, it was like re- my cases were going up rapidly. Um, it's just the case like with any oh, these I'm so virus. detached from it I didn't even know yeah yeah that's why they declare like when they declare a global emergency it's not because it's something okay that's insane. just casually <laughs> hanging around like it's, it's serious <laughs> okay um, yeah um, this is one that John wanted me to mention about the I thought it was very interesting as well how humans ability to digest milk evolved from famine and disease Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a landmark study, and it's the first to show how lactose tolerance developed. Um, it's really interesting in that I think a lot of people assume that uh, we we developed lactose tolerance relatively like early on in civilization, but it wasn't the case that we never had. When you're ba- when you're a baby, you have this um, lactose enzyme that once they you develop older it would would have. Um, you would lose it you would lose it yeah basically Um, 
but they 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 seen that in um people who um people eventually develop the 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 process that they didn't get switched off and then it remains switched on um and it was only through these uh times of famine that this this happened um yeah and it, it, it this this happened independently around the world that people all developed mm-hmm. this ability to sit that the this enzyme um stayed switched to, on to keep digesting to keep being able to digest milk and dairy products yeah 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 um yeah many caught yeah because many have presumed that the variation proved beneficial only after ancient people started routinely consuming dairy products but they showed that it wasn't the case that um it it it, it actually the the persistence of this lactase enzyme they it didn't occur they were, like people were still ingesting the dairy products and they didn't have the enzyme because during the famine times they literally had nothing to eat so they would have to try and yeah. eat this and like it wasn't fatal but as anyone who's lactose intolerance can tell you 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 will um fart you're going to get diarrhea cramps you fart it off but you're not going to die so people again who didn't have the enzyme or didn't get this genetic variability or this genetic inheritance Mm. of this enzyme switched on then they would eventually if they in the famine times they would just die off and people who did have the enzyme would survive so there was but it it took a while yeah it was a lot of selective pressure in the times of famine for this to happen um yeah so it's it's interesting like uh and it's it's interesting in like in um in africa and central asia and the middle east they don't really have this either so um i think i don't know where else yeah it must be probably was mostly in the europeans uh but it's interesting yeah again another uh evidence that of selective pressure in um on a population to like select out for these genes in real time evolution works yeah yeah um right and then the last one i wanted to talk about which was my favorite story um definitely i won for the egg nobel prize maybe next year um (laughs) so taste of kale makes unborn babies grimace finds research i don't like kale (laughs) who don't like even the babies don't like it even though they have no taste buds um a vile. It said while the, when the mothers consumed a car- carrot capsule, the fetus adopted a laughter-like expression uh, as twice as often as they did with kale. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like they can get it like a three D image with the scan. That's how they were able to figure this out. I'm putting a massive putting massive shade on kale now. <laughs> <laughs> big kale uh, or big anti kale industry. Um, yeah, and fetuses showed a crying expression around twice as often when the mother consumed a kale capsule compared with carrot. So, like, interest, interesting research. If you want to keep your baby <laughs> happy, you? um, so maybe your mother had kale, and that's why it just messed you up, like <laughs> when she was a baby, when you were a <laughs> that's what that, So that's what messed me up. Okay, that's why you don't like. I it. don't know, but like, I'll eat it because I know it's healthy, but it wouldn't. I wouldn't snack on kale. I'd yeah, snack yeah. on carrots. It's, it's more one of the things you like. You blend up in a smoothie, and it's like 
super healthy smoothie that you're eating that's drinking. what you keep telling yourself um but yeah they said that the team noted that aromas from the mother's diet were present in the amniotic fluid taste buds can detect taste related chemicals from 14 weeks gestation and odor molecules can be sensed from 24 weeks so they wanted to just see um whether fetuses differentiate specific flavors and so they looked at ultrasound scans from almost 70 pregnant women aged 18 to 40 and they were split into two groups. One was asked to take a capsule of powdered kale 20 minutes before an ultrasound scan. And the other was asked to take a capsule of powdered carrot. But why capsules? Why not just eat kale and carrot? Because maybe it's just easier to like give a specific amount of so that they're not like... Okay. It, it could be digested differently. It just maybe standardized okay. it. Okay. Um what was it? Yeah, vegetable consumption by the mothers did not differ between the kale and carrot group. Um, and they also examined people who had not taken any capsules. And, you know, they weren't allowed... To, they were told not to eat anything within an hour of their scans. So, yeah, they re- examined 180 scans from 99 fetuses, scanned at either 32 weeks, 36 weeks, or at both time points. And they found, again, as I said, cry expression about twice as often when the mother consumed a kale capsule compared with a carrot capsule or no capsule and then yeah, they they sm- they had a, li- a laughter like expression when they ate carrot so i don't know obviously people way before i don't know i don't want to be like i don't maybe that is true but would not like the mood of the mother also affect like the mood of the baby uh i'm sure they have to like is there like any confounding effect that could influence this <laughs> I well I maybe I don't I don't know for sure I just I'm sure they had to like they had it must have been statistically significant like they had enough enough people that they could say okay this there's this amount of babies had this expression after eating kale there must be some kind of thing but that kind of a knowledge for the sake of knowledge like you can't really do anything with it isn't it yeah they were surprised with the results um was I don't it, know, like, it? yeah, if, if you want to keep your <laughs> your baby happy and don't want him to be upset. Uh, was it funded by the kale industry and that's why they were no, surprised? <laughs> it's a future work that highlights individual differences in fetal responses to flavors and how they relate to mother's dietary habits and infant's responses to food after birth will be of great interest to see, like, if the food that they are introduced to at pregnancy will influence how they... Um, that's a long study. What the food they like when they grow up. So, but you know, it would be a better study well, if uh, if they would compare meat eating mothers to vegetable eating mothers, and then if they showed that <laughs> the children are dissatisfied after a meat diet, they'd be like a, a good kind of a propaganda thing to start advertising. <laughs> do that. We do it with meat eaters. and non-meat if they have the expression. Yeah, be like, oh look, they're 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 they're. they're their smile is a little bit upward. That means they like it. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying that it could help to combat the global warming by decreasing uh, meat consumption. Yeah, well, like just don't eat meat. That's all you have to do. Like, if okay, you but don't like need to do people, a study on it. But like some people want to, yeah, you know, like oh, I read it in in the paper. Like, <laughs> some people are like that. I don't know. I'm just trying. I'm just trying to see where where, where, where is this, it gonna go? Like. Yeah, what could happen? Look, yeah, if, if like yeah. Anyways, now because, you know. because yeah, I I would have been like, okay, if you want to get uh, a child introduced to something healthy, you, you get them <laughs> eat, just eat it while you're pregnant, and then they they'll be used to it. 
um and they really like inherently want maybe they'll like it so but like this doesn't seem to agree with that but i think my mom was eating a lot of cake cake i just love cake <laughs> okay well that's you can feed that's me not apple unusual. cake you can feed me apple apple cake every time every day right i just i'll just eat it right so yeah that was uh that was kind of a, a, a kind of a summarize summary of the news in the of the summer and the last thing was actually Fauci's retired as well as the NIH role mm-hmm. so they got rid of him I think he stepped down well I think oh, he like down. he is in his 80s so I was like <laughs> I'd be like why wouldn't you just want to yeah, retire you have to at this stage it. after everything that you've been through like he did a great service for COVID but like the amount of abuse he got was ridiculous it's time to step down I think it's just to get it, take yeah. your, it's like live your rest of your life and enjoy it and <laughs> get away from the public the shit, the shit show that is the, the public science yeah. politics crossover that's happening right now. So which one was your favorite story out of the ones that you oh, have covered? Oh, obviously the, the, the kale. The kale <laughs> story. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No surprise there. No. Okay, well, thank you for um, taking us over these um, highlights no that, ha- that happened over summer. Um, but now we're gonna now we're gonna try to predict something that will happen actually tomorrow. Oh on yeah, the, on the third of third um, of October, they will announce the winners in the medicine and physiology for the Nobel Prize, and then consecutively on f- uh, physics is on the fourth and chemistry is on the fifth of October. Yeah. So um, you know, it's uh, I don't know. Do you have you have you have you named any of the scientists that you have predicted? Well, I I do think for the chemistry one, it's got, I, I I I cannot think why they would not give it to uh, Caitlin Carrico and Drew Weissman. These are the two who did the 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 original work on the mRNA vaccine, right? And like, I think we can all say now that. It, it was a success it worked and if only for their work we wouldn't have got to where we are now so yeah i it, okay. it just has to be like i would be baffled <laughs> if they do not give it to them um do you agree i mean it seems like a reasonable choice but on the predictions that i have acquired neither of them neither of them is coming up really yeah so I just want to say that it's... But, like, it's how much longer do they need? Like, what what, why, why else do they need to, for it to happen before they can give it to them? I'm just like, this is, like, the, I, one of the most groundbreaking research that was ever done that's, like, had a real-world impact that actually But it's so worked. fresh. Yeah, but, like, it, I still think the whole CRISPR thing, she got it pretty much very recent after the whole... It was but only CRISPR that, has been extensively used in like a research environment. Yeah, but at that time, I think it was only still very kind of new. I don't know. I still think. Uh, look, it must probably be wrong, but I'm just like I just think it it makes sense. I think me. I think the Nobel Committee they want to be very careful who do they give the prize, and I'm sure there is like list of people like a backlog they have to go through, and uh, and they are known to be very careful because you don't want to. I'm not saying that it will happen, but imagine you give them the price like right now and then in the space of five or ten years, <laughs> something will come up and then they would 
then what you're gonna do? Are you gonna retract the Nobel Prize? I think they just, I think they just trying to be uh, really careful and methodical about it, and they need to check, they need to check all the all the boxes before they uh, they will be happy to to give it. Yeah, I don't know. Still think <laughs> what's gonna come out really. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think you can already tell that it's very hard to predict uh, who is yeah. going to win. Like, everyone has their own opinions. And, you know, some people try to use kind of a, a pre prediction measures. So one of them is um, being a recipient of a, a Lask Lasker Award, which is an American-based uh, scientific um, uh, award. It is, uh, it is given annually to individuals who have made significant contributions to biomedical research and public health. And 88 previous winners of the Lasker Award have gone to become a Nobel laureate. Right. So that's kind of for medicine and physiology, if you, if you got it. It's like the Golden Globes of the... I think so, yeah. Of the Nobel Prize. It's not award. guaranteed, but like you're on the right track, right? <laughs> yeah. So in, for ex in 2019, William... Kaylin Jr., Sir Peter Radcliffe, and Greg Semenza, they won the Nobel Prize for their pioneering research into how human cells respond to oxy uh, changing oxygen levels, so the um, hypoxia research. And uh, the three lads jointly won the Lasker Award back in 2016. So it doesn't mean if you won it last year, the next year you're going to win the Nobel Prize, but as long as you won it at some stage of your career, mm -hmm. it could it's a predictor. So another predictor is being shortlisted as uh, one of the citation laureates, which is done by the Clarivate. And as of 2022, 64 of the citation laureates named by the Institute for Scientific Information went to receive a Nobel Prize, more than the half within three years of being named on the list. Right. So out of uh, f uh, 55 million articles um, and proceedings indexed on, uh, in the web of science, since 1970, only about 0.1% have been cited 2,000 or more times. So it is from the authors of this group of papers that citation laureates are identified and selected. And where? What's the, is that like an award ceremony? Not citation. No, you're just being. You're just oh, okay. being. That's just something you're. Yeah. Know, no one else. So, yeah, <laughs> someone just does it and is like, "Look, you're, you've been very. Your, your work has been cited a lot of times." And How many? Two thousand has to be mm. higher would it be or maybe that's as high <laughs> so it's only about 0.01 percent have been cited 2000 or more oh wow okay so out of 55 million articles the 0.01 percent corresponds to something around 7600 people right. and so i kind of look at um i wanted to see who who made the list for these um for the citation laureates and then i wanted to see if they if they won the Lasker award yeah. and see and see if that makes sense. And who has so, <laughs> so I'm just gonna focus on the medicine and physiology, and then we can just briefly scan through yeah. chemistry because that's the one. Well, you that's were it's the one I was gonna say because yeah. I think that if the mRNA was gonna win, it's gonna be in that yeah. field. So uh, for for medicine and physiology, we have uh, four candidates. So num number Fenus, number f number one is Masato Hasegawa. So he's the head of Department of Brain and Neuroscience at Tokyo Metropolitan Institute in Japan, and he he is predicted to uh, co-win the prize with Virginia Man Yi Lee. 
She, uh, she won in 2020 a breakthrough prize in life sciences, and she's a professor in Alzheimer's research and director of Center for Neurodegenerative Disease Research in the University of Pennsylvania. And they are nominated, uh, both are considered for identification of TDP43, a pathological signature of amyotrophic lateral sclerosis and frontotemporal lobal degeneration, and for other contributions to the study of neurodegenerative diseases. Oh, right. Okay, so they are considered. None of them <coughs> went for the Lasker Prize, but... Um, also, neither of them have won. Yili, no, but uh, Yili, she's like, she's so accomplished. Like, I think her lab is producing like 60 high high um, peer-reviewed publications a year. Like, right. she's just like manufacturing them out. So, fair play nice. to them. Next one is... Mary Claire King, she's a professor of medicine and genome science, uh, School of Medicine, University of Washington. She won the Lasker Award in 2014, and most recently, in 2021, she won Can Can Canada Gardner International Award. And she's considered for demonstrating inherited susceptibility for breast and ovarian cancer and discovering the role played by mutations of the BRCA1 gene. Oh, yeah. I think I mentioned this last time when I was yeah. going through it. Yeah, that so, one like that is like so significant. Yeah, yeah. Given that like the um, mm, the screening test being introduced now for uh, yeah, for and the, the treatment as well. Yeah, and the treatment. So yeah, so she's uh, she looks like she might be uh, she's on the right track. Yeah, but yeah. we'll see. And the uh, the last person on that list is Stuart Orkin. He's a professor of pediatrics at Harvard Medical School, and and he's a considered for foundational research on the genetic basis of blood diseases and for advancing gene therapy for sickle cell anemia and beta thalassemia. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Out of these uh, four, like, out of these four people I've I've mentioned, I, uh, yeah, just the BRCA one seems like a, like mm. a strong candidate. Um, I don't know. I just, I don't really feel like my man Orkin's gonna take it home this year. No, I don't think so. I still think that one is like, there still needs to be a bit more work done on it yet. Yeah. Um, but the other one I actually had mentioned the last time I mentioned, I had talked about this, was the the ones who had uh, discovered the, the second arm of the immune response, the adaptive immune response. They haven't won it either. So that's another one I'd be like, potentially could, right. could be a, in the mix as well. Um, right. But... I would say, look, it's it's a really hard look because the last year's winners were like pretty unexpected, like came out of nowhere, mm -hmm. um, like Randy Orton. But uh, I just think that it most probably will. I out of them, I would say you want the bracket gene as well. It could be my. It could be as well someone that is not even mentioned on that. Yeah, that's that, what I mean. On like, that list, like you know, it's, it's so really hard, hard to tell. To yeah. But we like tomorrow we will find out, and then uh, by Thursday. We, on Thursday, people will see if our predictions uh, <laughs> yeah. overlapped with anything. We are okay. right. If we're right, you have to like give us money. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> very greedy over the summer. Do you spend too much money? Is it? <laughs> well, no. I just want a reward for getting it right. But like, okay, at the same time, it's just the sense of being right is the reward. <laughs> I, I will reward you. I will reward you. Um, and yeah, and okay. then and <clears throat> you want to hear about chemistry. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, who who else? Okay, who else so, could possibly upstage? So chemistry, 
these are very hard names for me to pronounce, so I'm really sorry. Zinan Bao, uh, professor of chemical engineering at Stanford, um, nominated for the development of novel biomimetic applications for organic and polymeric electronic materials, including flexible electronic skin. I don't even know what that means. They had something like that one last year, I think, wasn't it? Or I don't. I oh don't no, that was like for structures. I think detecting of structures. Okay, well, carrying on. I Bonnie don't know. L still doesn't sound any good better than what I'm <laughs> predicting. Bonnie L. Bas Basler. Um, she <laughs> Bonnie M. <laughs> Bonnie L. Professor Bonnie in M. molecular biology and chair of molecular biology at Princeton. And E. Peter Greenberg, professor of microbiology, School of Medicine at University of Washington. They are being considered for research on regulation of gene expression in bacteria through quorum sensing, a chemical communication system. Oh, interesting. That interesting. could potentially, maybe. Oh, you, st you start doubting about your mRNA. Well, I'm just saying if it's not going to win, okay. what would be the one that could had could do it? And Daniel, Daniel G. Nocera, Nocera uh, Patterson Rockwood, Professor of Energy, Department of Chemistry and Chemical Biology at uh, Cambridge, at Harvard. The fundamental experimental and theoretical contributions to proton-coupled electron transfer and its application to energy science and biology. Okay. They're like very technically specific yeah. uh, nominations of which I can't really say much. Yeah, I can. I don't know. Like maybe, <sighs> who knows? That's what I mean, like, and uh, it's not like it's not like the Oscars where you're like watch a film and like, okay, yeah, he was better. Like, you have to like go through all the research, the research, and be like, okay, now how does this apply? Yeah, this, what they did, how much did it impact in the real world? It's yeah, it's crazy, it's crazy gamble, like, and I think you can even go to the bookies and bet on bet on that. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> should I put a bit of money on Caitlin Carrico? <laughs> Yeah, so imagine landing into the bookies and like, hey, I want to make a bet on the Nobel Prize. They will King be like, what? Who? <laughs> like, Kings. no one com. would bet that. But no, but you can make you can make you can make uh, uh, maybe just for like two euro. But like, are the odds any good? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Man. I just I'm too afraid to get addicted to gambling, so that's why I'm not going to try it. Oh no, like I can't imagine me going into Paddy Power and be like, yeah, can you just put like two euro on I think this but like they'd be like, where can I get the odds for this? Maybe I let me see if I can find Paddy Power. If you if you if you put a bet, I'll put a bet as well. Like in for a in for a in for a pound, in for a penny. <laughs> they said Greta Thunberg to win for For what? For peace? peace? Yeah. And Donald Trump potentially <laughs> for for peace as well for peace yeah oh obviously but not for science no uh, I don't know I doubt to have anyone's for science for science I'd say they would have for peace because that's uh, I think literature is also literature maybe but like I think the I science think I was gonna one say is literature is hard one to guess like oh um I don't know like I just don't know where. Yeah, I think they only would do it for, like, literature and peace. I don't think they're going to give it for science. At some at some point, I see someone winning a literature Nobel Prize uh, from Ukraine, perhaps for writing some books 
during you know about the oh, current world is happening and stuff like that yeah. maybe 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 i don't know i'm not i don't know if there's any point going into physics because i don't even understand no, what they're no, talking I, about I, I think we've covered enough so yeah yeah keep it can let us we'll see if we're right um, yeah if you, we're if very you, biased here we only care about medicine <laughs> yeah okay right are you are you ready to hear more about sci-fi yes um revolutionary i'm always looking forward to hearing about sci-fi i know you have a soft spot for that so <laughs> so i'm gonna open by asking you a tricky question so it's okay if you don't know i only learned that this week when i was when i was reading about it do you know what parthenogenesis is parteno yeah um something about creating well that's the genesis bit. i know <laughs> yeah that's obviously <laughs> uh creating life from nothing is that it Could it be that's, that's that's very that's very close well i kind of kind of could guess from <laughs> so parthenos <laughs> means virgin and genesis creation oh so i want to open this <laughs> virgin uh, creating a virgin virgin creation very religious it is a natural <laughs> form of i said don't go we're not going there <laughs> We're not going there, okay? okay? It's a scientific term. It is a it is a natural form of asexual reproduction in which growth and development of embryos occur in gametes, egg or sperm, without combining with another gamete. So that's kind of is in relation to what we're gonna talk about here because um because uh, yeah, a bunch of scientists uh, was a big collab collaboration were able to create a functioning healthy mouse embryos without ever mixing a, an egg and a sperm right so it's not it's not exactly a, a sexual reproduction like, but yeah. it was like i just use this as an, an avenue to get into the topic okay right right so it's just like yeah asexual as in they're not sexual um cells there was no mixing of sperm and egg yeah in that so it sounds that kind sense, of like, like tumor tumor growth you know how it's just like they do, it divides it is a little bit more organized though than the tumor growth okay yeah but i know i know i know what you mean just kind of the cell division and, and i wonder did they go backwards and they're seeing like tumor like i wonder what can we go use this how the tumor divides uncontrollably and put that into like developing of a fetus but i think too far apart because in the tumor you have just um some checkpoints are dysregulated yeah, right you could just use some of the just like alter some of the signaling okay to, like, to develop then it can it would signal for the whole normal fetal development i think uh, maybe you should email them this okay i'm just yeah <laughs> right. I, don't, I don't know i don't know where to go with this i don't it, to me it sounds a little bit off but sure what do i know <laughs> okay i'm not embryologist and i'm not cancer specialist but for anyone who doesn't know how conception or fertilization work it's when the sperm and egg join together and if a sperm was successful in its quest to fertilize an egg such clump of cells is referred to as a zygote at that point i think everyone learns this in their great science sex education classes that you get in it's all you learn really <laughs> when a sperm and an egg meet they create a baby no it's that's, called a zygote yeah and then nothing else you're not getting any other info <laughs> like how it. does it work no we're not talking about that oh it's just that and then the zygote travels down 
and transform into a cluster of cells known as a blastocyst. And the blastocyst implements itself into the wall of the uterus, develops, uh, and at that point it develops, uh, it turns into an embryo, it develops placenta, and it's around, it is surrounded by fluid-filled membranes. Some of the cells of the placenta uh, develop into an outer layer of membranes called choroin, and that is um, that surrounds the, the blastocyst, and the other cells develop into an inner layer of membranes called amnion, which form the amniotic sac, that's where the future baby is held. And when the sac is formed, the blastocyst is considered an embryo. The amniotic sac filled, is filled with a clear liquid and expands to envelop the developing embryo, which floats within it. And during the embryo development, the formation of most internal organ and external body structures takes place. Almost all organs are completely formed by, uh, by about 10 weeks after fertilization, uh, except for the brain and spinal cord, which continue to develop throughout pregnancy. So that's like the very brief overview of how fertilization and development works that's not that wasn't even that's not even good enough to be called overview this is just a few steps that happened but there is no point to get into the details of it yeah but i just uh, just just so people can imagine how this process takes place like there is a lot of cell division there is loads of communication between different group of cells yeah and such and such so a collaboration of scientists from uh, uh, cambridge Caltech, University of Washington, Israel, and Seattle created a model embryos from mouse stem cells that form a brain, a beating heart, and the foundation of the other organs of the body, which would include uh, a gut. They were able to achieve this phenomenal discovery by aggregating different types of cells and allowing them to talk to each other via cell-to-cell interaction based on touch and chemical messages. So uh, the types of the cells that were used um, were embryonic stem cells, trophoblast stem cells, which are precursors of the differentiated cells of the placenta, and inducible extra-embryonic endoderm stem cells. These are uh, first cell types specified during mammalian development. This lineage is known to play multiple important roles throughout mammalian development, including guiding axial patterning, which is the morphological expression of genetic control of body shape. So different genes are activated in different parts of the developing embryo, so different parts of the body can then develop. And it's also in, uh, inducing formation of the first blood cells during the embryogenesis. So this is exactly what happened. They got these three types of cells and they literally just mixed them together and, and allowed them to, to develop. So following this cell assembly, they produce between 100 to 150 embryo-like structures. So these embryo-like structures resemble no normal embryo at the similar stage of development. And those, so, <clears throat> sorry, the embryo-like structures that resembled norm normal embryo at similar stage of development were selected for further culturing and development. And that was like, it wasn't a huge proportion of these cells. A lot of them was discarded because they, they just didn't assemble in the appropriate way that the scientists wanted them to. Right. So they only only select only out of these out of the whole pool they had. They only selected a, a a limited number that corresponded morphologically to what a normal embryo would look like at the at any given time that they were 
they were being tested for and they also did some uh, gene expression uh, markers as well just to make sure that the ones that they are select are really really what they are looking for so they <coughs> were these cells like replicating themselves or were they just yeah because they have they have the potential given that they are the stem cells they, so some of them replicated themselves but they're like these aren't what they're doing what we want we're going to get rid of yeah. them and then just keep the ones yeah so they uh they, and did they, they uh, uh, alter the mm-hmm. stem cells at all or did they just let let them go and do their own thing yeah the they induced um the induced extra embryonic endoderm stem cells they were they were modified in the sense that they got uh, M cherry into them, so they could uh, they could send a signal right. that could be detectable, but modified in the sense of like gene manipulation and yeah. stuff like that. They uh, I don't think they were, right. but they were just they were modified in the sense that they got a reporter gene, so they could pick up a signal to see what was being expressed. Yeah, yeah. from the uh, from the uh, extra embryonic endoderm stem cells. So the things that they were looking for in these um, embryo-like structures was preamniotic cavity, appropriate localization of anterior visceral endoderm, which is a tissue of extra embryonic cells being responsible for the proper orientation of the anterior-posterior axis of the embryo and for the appropriate patterning of adjacent embryonic tissues and gastrulation. And gastrulation is a process during which a multi-layered structure known as the gastrula starts to appear. And this is this sounds foreign, but like I'm sure you know this. This is where the three germ layers are uh, known as ectoderm, mesoderm, and endoderm appear. Yeah. So like you know the ectoderm then will turn into skin cells, neurons, and brains, and pigment pigment cells. Mesoderm will turn into cardiac muscles, red blood cells, smooth muscles of the gut. Uh, kidney cells and the endoderm will finally turn into lung cells, thyroid cells and pancreatic cells. So they really wanted to make sure that all of these processes are already happening within these embryo-like structures before they commit any more time and money yeah. into a further development and further like quote-unquote differentiation. So selected embryo-like structures were placed inside the rotating culture bottles for further development. And that rotating culture bottle, that's supposed to kind of represent the placenta and uterus um, together. Like, so they right. being kept in the in this in this culture that is rotating. Uh, they control the level of oxygen and CO two, the pressure. Uh, this. The circulating medium is supposed to represent the movement of blood and nutrients in and out of placenta. So by means of mechanical engineering, they're trying to um, produce some sort of... Simulate the environment. So so they basically just took these stem cells off the mice, Mm -hmm. um, just took them, let, let them replicate into their own whatever structures they wanted them to do. Whatever ones weren't, they got rid of whatever ones were. And then they just kind of monitor to see if they would all they come together and start signaling the right. Yeah. So they signals. had they had like control embryos at different stages of development that were grown simultaneously. Uh, they were comparing, as I said, the morphological uh, f- aspects of both and also gene expression. Of course, it wasn't like they just mixed the three type of cells and let them grow by themselves. They were fed appropriate mediums that had, yeah, you know, certain chemical chemicals that would uh, push <coughs> this whole uh, cell clump into the into the right way. But because such a small fraction developed it the way they wanted, 
just indicates that there is much more room for improvement within the within the protocol but it still is a is a that's like that still wasn't a success that they that they got um what they got in anyway because this research is based on 10 years of um, em, em, yeah. embryological studies and signaling yeah um so the development of these synthetic embryos i'm just going to refer to those things as synthetic embryos from now on okay um, so the development of the synthetic embryos was monitored by gene expression using single cell resolution at day five, six, and eight, and the natural embryos dissected at day six, seven, and eight. Analysis revealed a similar contribution of cells to developing lineages in natural embryos and in the synthetic embryos. Only one cluster of cells in natural embryos was not expressed in the synthetic embryos. This missing cluster corresponded to the junctional zone of the placental cluster of the natural embryo. In addition, natural embryos exhibited an increased increase in cell type complexity over time, corresponding to the formation of differentiated tissue and organs. So the natural embryo grew was a little bit more complex in terms of their cellular composition, and they had yeah the, the placental clusters which could be the fact that you know they are the natural embryos compared to the synthetic ones that were grown in the rotating cylinder. Yeah. So that could have um, somehow affected the um, the cell and gene expression. Overall analysis and comparison confirmed that natural and synthetic embryos followed a similar developmental timeline. For example, both systems showed the development of three germ layers and their derivatives and the beginning of organogenesis and here they really highlighted that cardiomyocytes were appearing which are like a precursor to the uh, to the to the uh-huh. heart yeah on the transcriptomic level natural embryos showed an enrichment uh, in terms of terms associated with uterine development implementation and remodulation of the endothelial compartments whereas the synthetic embryos showed terms associated with embryonic morphogenesis so in some weird way, maybe the natural embryos knew knew that they have to steer the development towards like implementation towards the uterus, whereas the synthetic ones somehow they knew that there is no need for that. Maybe they maybe they were missing the the signaling that would be sent from yeah. from the mother uterus, like you know, and mm-hmm. that's why there was there was not this like without the signal there is not gonna be a response. Um. So let's talk about the brain now, because they, uh, they really paid attention to the brain and how the brain was developing. So the assessment of brain development was done by using gene expression markers, as well as a immunofluorescence. They looked at SOX1, which is an upregulated marker uh, during brain development, and they observed clear localization and centralization of SOX1 expression in patterns similar to the natural, um, natural embryo. The SOX1 positive neural tube tissue made up two thirds length of the neurolating embryoid, whereas the SOX1 negative posterior exhibited a tail boat like morphology, again reminiscent of natural embryos. So what they really showed what it really means here that they were able to show that there is a brain developing in one part of the embryo, and then the other part of the embryo that is not meant to be brain is not brain which is which is good because it means that it's not all dispersed across like you would have in a cancer <laughs> in the cancer growth but everything is just everywhere yeah. here you have a, a clear localization and centralization of parts of the embryos that will would have gone to become a 
brain in the future if allowed potentially if allowed to 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 grow any further mm, yeah, yeah and to confirm the credibility of the observed brain development a special cell line was created with gene pax6 knocked out so pax6 pax6 is a transcription factor required for brain as well as for eye development and when they eliminated this gene the mouse heads did not develop correctly mimicking what occurs in natural embryos that lack the gene so that was that was also used as a form of um, you know a control of the protocol because um, if they would still observe that there is a brain developing in the cell line that in the cells that lacks the, the pac 6 then would be like what is going on this is something unpredictable but uh, by observing this limited head head development they knew that the protocol they use is correct because it, it requires all of the signalings and uh, and messages yeah. to work properly so a distinct set of cells uh, disdained so that was kind of a sorry so that was kind of the um, the brain part the, the main highlights that it, it looks like a brain it stains like a brain and when something is taken away it doesn't grow like a brain anymore yeah, yeah. in terms of the heart a distinct set of cells destined to form the heart also emerge from the primitive streak at gastrulation in the natural embryo this developmental event takes place around uh, uh, day eight and the heartbeat is established uh, as the cardiac mesoderm differentiates into cardiomyocytes. They observed formation of a beating structure in the day in day eight uh, of the synthetic embryo growth. And this beating region of the um, of the synthetic embryo expressed myosin heavy chain two. And myosin is an essential component of the cardiac muscle uh, from the onset uh, of the cardiogenesis throughout the adult heart. And they also detect the transcription factor GATA4, which is also highly expressed in both embryonic and adult cardiomyocytes, where it is thought to function as a key transcriptional regulator of numerous cardiac genes. And uh, so what would be the reasons to conduct the study? Uh, one, number one, in contrast to the other stem cell derived embryo models, uh, these synthetic embryos undertake morphogenesis of headfold structures in a manner that closely resembles the natural embryos. So that's something like that hasn't been done previously. There was another group that also was able to replicate this study. So it, this is good, but you know, a couple of years ago, nothing was as close um, in terms of synthetic embryos resembling a natural embryos. These studies add to the previous report on the generation of embryos using uh, embryonic stem cells to form the extra embryonic ectoderm lineage. It opens a new possibilities to study the mechanism of neurodevelopmental in the experimental models. If successfully translated to human stem cells, there is a potential to generate specific organ types to understand mechanisms behind crucial processes mm. that would be otherwise impossible to study in, <coughs> in real embryos. But why? like? Because you can't just you can't just make an embryo out of the sperm in, in and sack and just in humans. Yeah, and just you can't study embryos after day fourteen. Basically, that's the agreement. Um, Ethical agreement. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just wondering what what these stem cells they use. Like, did they have? Did they have to get this from embryos and like 
them kind of stem cells? Or did, how how did they get access to these stem cells? Well, with the my with the mouse yeah. with the mice, it was easy because they just they, they took the embryonic that. stem cells from a uh, from the blastocyst yeah. that was already you created. You can't do that in humans. I'm sure there are ways around it with the inducibles. Yeah, you'd have to cells. do the ISPACs. Yeah. But like, it's another issue. Is like because if you want to study it, you need to get access to the stem cells to make the embryo yeah um, well, but yeah but is it so now should we just stop it because it doesn't fit no, our but I'm ethical guidelines or should the ethical guidance change to fit this because this has happened now um well no it's just i'm just saying it's just something that to think about when when they're if you want to do use this research in the future it's like okay but we're gonna to have to induce um stem cells and then we have then we but do you think it's a more do you think it's a more ethical problem or do you think it's a more technical problem that that's what i kind of well obviously it's an ethical when if you, you can't um if you can't get the stem cells from the blastocytes um but like if it's if it's the induced ones then that, then that's a technical problem because you have to manipulate the cells a lot more before you're yeah, working but- with them like, and then it's like, is it going to be because you're inducing them back into stem cells? Will that influence how the the stem cells develop? It just was that's not shown. That has never been shown yet. Yeah, well, that's yeah. That I suppose that's more work. I don't know how soon. They would you'd obviously want to use stem cells that are just like very little bit manip- manipulated. But I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, and another reason they say it's a. Uh, it really, it really helps to understand processes involved in early pregnancy and what can be done to avoid early miscarriages, like the very, very early miscarriages. Mm. And uh, on top of that, it's easier to observe um, outside the uterus, the development of the embryos, which is, um, which is helpful. And it's easier to manipulate uh, such structures using gene editing tools. Yeah, but oh, yeah, actually, now, now I kind of... Uh, one, uh, to get back to what I was saying because okay, I can go I'm more clear in my head okay. is this going to face the same ethical issues as the blastocytes are going to have because people would still be like oh technically these stem cells could go on and become a, a fetus and it's yeah. just not going to let anyone no one can work with them is that, the, is that what could happen potentially that's always a risk but then again like you can't just Oh yeah, I know. You can't can't just not not do do it. it. Yeah, Yeah. because what's gonna happen is what has happened with you know these uh, these uh, Chinese twins um, on which the CRISPR on which the CRISPR was performed on. You know, people were like debating it forever: is it allowed or not? And someone just did it. Yeah. So I think think, people. No, obviously it'll have. It would be. It's just such an odd way because you're having to develop this new method just to get around uh, technicality as before. But like, let's let's think about sci-fi and in the future, right? Imagine that you are you, are you, you are the functioning person, but also when you are a, when you are a blastocyst, blastocyst, some cells are taken off you, grown in the lab or whatever, in some plant, manufacturing plant, and anything that goes wrong, you have like a ready to harvest <laughs> thing to replace your liver, to replace your heart. You don't have to worry about sacrificing pigs. Yeah, I, I don't know. Look, 
I'm just saying, um, what like from an ethical or just the point of view, like I'm not even looking down that far down the line. <laughs> okay. So, um, but yeah, I, I look, it's it's something that definitely more. I suppose to understand these kind of signaling and fetal development is to stop to help like if in the future if if for pregnancies that are like maybe malformed or something like that I don't know yeah um, like if you understand the processes involved in uh, you know the cell division and development of the three germ layers and and how it should look um, in a healthy in a healthy uh, embryo then you know how how far how far is that from then setting up like a, a regular screening uh, pro, uh programs or you know screening tests where you can actually when you know like let's say a couple is knows that they want to get pregnant and they try and you know and they have regular checks you can really control this from the from the very beginning of course it would be that could not be applied for people who who have like unexpected pregnancies because they probably don't know they're pregnant until they are pregnant like you know but for like for couples that like try and they are they know that they want to get pregnant that could be and mm. and if they had uh, miscarriages in the past you know having this this extra knowledge of how things work and being able to monitor from the from the very yeah, very yeah. start could like you know could save could save lives yeah yeah so um but it's interesting it does kind of bring me remind me of the whole michael levin thing when we had the interview with him and how he was on about how cells they generally can go on and do their they know instinctively what to do it's like in built in it's crazy isn't it it is kind of crazy um that you don't it doesn't like it's it's just like an instinctive thing that they know like a consciousness (sighs) god this is yeah this is this whole like wasn't it what was the term he used intelligence of everything intelligence of everything yeah um, collective collective consciousness yeah because it's like what and did they speculate did they like what did they write it all about like to speculate how it knows what to do like to, to well they already are embryonic stem cells and they already use uh, pro- stem cell progenitors of placenta and uh, some and the third type okay. of cells, which is also a progenitor, uh, progen- so progenitor know. cell. So they are re- these cells are already on the path of right. uh, of developing that way. So I'm sure that helps. And uh, of course, if you supply mm-hmm. the appropriate medium, medium that would also encourage the the right development. But you know, the cell has to have those instructions within itself in the first place mm. to know to go that direction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like how is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> it's it really is like what what's going on like if you think about it it just blows you away doesn't it yeah 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 it is it's one of those things it's hard to grasp like how crazy that is is <laughs> like so at what point would you <laughs> so would you like to see this moving into humans at what point would you like to move it to the to into the human research well i'd have to know like what how, what like what do you need to know before you would be happy to see this being done on human cells? Um, Just on the top of your head, like. Well, I, I like I don't know. I. <laughs> I but you're clearly as, hesitant about this. 
look, I, I suppose it's just more like I think it's always a the blur the issue of blurring the lines between like you're manipulating a lot a potential life um whereas like how what can you how can you do that ethically that's not gonna that's okay to do and um i suppose it's just like until we can accept that like okay we can work with these um stem cell like synthetic embryos um then it's it's fine and then we can do work on it um but like i still think it's all going to be uh it's it's still going to all be like ivf kind of work like anyone who is struggling to have children and they're it's just they're struggling to get a a viable uh embryo this is something that could help a lot i i I don't think Uh, i don't know about i don't know about any like any of all this other stuff about like oh if you need an organ transplant and you can like have it ready made for you i don't know about that like but (laughs) (laughs) you don't know you're not sure about that yeah yeah but like yeah it could be like uh the future um how they then once they know how the signal works and like well let's just take stem cells grow them up make a company out of it i don't know it's um probably i still i still think that's like a long down time down the road yet yeah but we all thought that crispr is gonna be long uh yeah that's different to like fucking growing up organs yeah, I know, but you never know. What I was still the think first? I think th- this is ethically way like there's more red tape here. I know, but it wasn't it that like the first fl- human flight was like in what at the end of 19th century or at the beginning of 20th centuries, and then 50 years, and then couple of like 50, 60 years later, they yeah, send the man on the moon. You're, you're seeing it differently you're looking at your perspective compared to like what the general public thinks like i just think this is it is uh something that will take a while for like a lot of people to get on board with and even just to get the scientific knowledge and know how um yeah do you would you think that unrestricted um unrestricted research in that field would speed up things uh (laughs) <laughs> obviously yeah <laughs> okay like but that's not gonna happen <laughs> um like they just reversed abortion rights in america you think they're gonna let them manipulate well, obviously we have to fetuses. look for the right country <laughs> so, <laughs> definitely not Poland. <laughs> no no not in other countries like china is the only one i'd say yeah probably mexico would you go with it Maybe some um, of uh, Europeans countries would be interested in it. Yeah. Do you think that would pass in Ireland? Unre- unrestricted no. research on the embryos? No. Definitely not. <laughs> no. Not yet. Okay. We're well, just was, uh, about trying to get euthanasia. <laughs> <laughs> so what, that was my bit about um yeah, you know, know science it. science being able to grow embryos without actually mixing um and sperm and an egg. Mm. so that's something um that's huge you know it's uh, as i said it's it's something that was built on the years and years of um of research and experiments that didn't work for experiments from which people had to learn how to change things and and finally they got there and uh surprise surprise they they did publish in nature 
Yeah. And the other the other group published in uh, in Cell. Mm. So uh, another um, another great um, <laughs> journal. Yeah. 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 No, it was interesting. Um, it's 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 just like yeah the limitations of what where we are right now and trying to like to to understand all this stuff more and how we're having to develop systems to get around it and um yeah it's interesting it's it's good work to do, have done though and a cherry on top for um from that uh, study that I just talked about uh, and main a main investigator investigator was a female on that paper so. That's nice to see. Oh, right. <laughs> great signs. Okay. Great signs. Good. Being thanks for females. pointing that out. Okay. I think it's. I think it's important, <laughs> and I'm not being funny. I really think. Uh. All right. Yeah. Okay. That's a minute. It's a. It's a last point. This. Yeah. Page. Okay. Um. Yeah. All right. Thanks for that, Tom. <laughs> um. <laughs> that was good. Thanks for the, the interesting uh, paper and discussion about it. Um, yeah. So that was today's episode. That was our first episode for the season three. Mm-hmm. Um, for season three now, we're going to our schedule is going to be a bit different. We're going to upload every month now, monthly uploads rather than the the fortnightly or biweekly, yeah. whatever way you want to call yeah. it. Um, just because Tom is doing his PhDs in his final year, and I don't want to be distracting him with the the podcasts and him oh, being here, so. I know it's kind of unfortunate for people who listen if they want their uh, fortnightly dose, but we'll try and keep the quality as high as ever, increase the hot quality. Yeah. And, um, and yeah. as soon as I'm finished with my PhD, we can maybe think about <laughs> coming back. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I hope you're excited for season three. Hope you enjoy the episode. And uh, we will catch you on the next episode. Yeah. Stay skeptical. Stay skeptical. Bye.